Welcome, everybody, to That Recruiter Show with Rodney Stegall, myself, and David. David, how are you doing? I have done wonderful. It's been a, uh, a an absolutely fantastic week. And I will tell you, for those of you, I think I've mentioned this, I'm in uh, the Los Angeles area, and it is where I am. It's going to be over 100 degrees today. So it's going to be pretty sweltering. Yeah, it's going to be pretty sweltering, but also good good weather for the kids to swim. Whoa, that's like literally like desert stuff. That's <laughs> it is. Well, yeah. And I, I, I mean, L.A. is for all intents and purposes, the desert. True, true. You know, I live in a swamp, so. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which, you know, and it's funny. I love the heat. Um, crazy story. Like, I'm one of those people, I get into the car some days. I'm just like, I come out of the A.C. and I get into the car and it's hot. And I'm like, you know, what? I need to defrost a minute before I turn the A.C. on. Like, I, I don't know what it is about me and liking heat. So <laughs> I, I like the heat, too. Um, but I like if I'm in the heat, I like to be in the pool and generally, if at all, humanly possible with a cocktail in my hand. So that's that. That's how I like to do the heat. Yes, that is the way to go, sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, today I think we've got a pretty interesting topic to talk about. I don't you know, I, I we've kind of talked about it a little bit and I don't think either of us are saying that we're Ph.D. experts in the, the subject matter. But I think what we do know as practitioners could probably help out people. Yeah, I agree, Rodney. And, and to introduce it so that people know what we're talking about, um, we want to talk about negotiation. And I think that you hit it on the head, and I and it, but it bears repeating in my mind is that, you know, we're not purporting to be absolute experts in negotiation. There are a number of books out there from FBI hostage negotiators. Um, and by the way, I, I will tell you one book I, I really like, and I'm not affiliated with this at all, but it's Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference. Um where I acted, I learned a lot. So I would, I would honestly recommend that book to anybody that wants to get stronger at negotiating in a general sense. But, um, but what we want to do, I think today is look at the, the kind of the grander vision of, of what it means to negotiate in, in situations and how best to equip yourself to do it. And so this isn't going to necessarily be a how to negotiate in a lot of ways, although there are some tips and tricks I think we're going to, we're going to put out there, but it's not really, that's really not the focus. And so it's really more, how do you prepare yourself? What are the things you need to think about uh, to be effective in a negotiation? And certainly in our world, when you think of negotiation, you think of offer negotiation, right? Mm -hmm. You know, in the world of recruiting. And so that's probably where a lot of people's heads go when you and I start talking about that. And, and that certainly is a reality. Uh, and something that I think we, you know, we live and breathe all the time. However, there's a lot of negotiation that goes on every day in any professional person's world. Yep. You know, it, it's little negotiations and big negotiations. It might be contracts of sorts. You know, if it might be SLAs negotiating. Yeah, SLAs. It might be, you know, come come time, you know, it's trying to negotiate a better raise for yourself. It, you know, there's a whole host of things. Or, or think about when you're a recruiter, you're negotiating with a hiring manager on, you know, possibly even like the real stuff that needs to happen on a job. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't yeah. tell you how many, how many conversations I had where it's like they give you the job description, which for all intents and purposes is a wish list. And, and you, you know, try to call it down to like, well, what are the top, you know, three to five things that are, that are non-negotiable for you and trying to figure that stuff out that in and of itself is a negotiation, right? Yeah. So, so being prepared to have those conversations, I think is 
critical for anybody, certainly any recruiter for, for obvious reasons, but I think any professional, uh, in, in the world, you're going to have to do this. And I would even argue that you could take this to your personal life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can tell you, so I negotiate with my kids all the time. I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) You know, but, but that's just, I mean, that's life. And, and believe me, negotiating with a four-year-old, I, I have no pointers at all on that because I feel like I'm just terrible <laughs> at that. And I lose. I typically lose. The only time I win is when I is when I keep her out of danger, which is a must, right? right? But outside of that, I typically don't win negotiations with my four-year-old daughter. Um, but, but again, all of the things I think we're going to talk about apply across the board, right? Life yeah. is a giant negotiation if, if you really if you really want to sum it up. And so uh, I'm really actually excited about this topic. And so I think that um, I think that we can uh, you know start to dig in. Yeah, you, you know, and I think it's it's funny because you hit on a, a, a couple of different things there just in the intro and um, everything from from being prepared and understanding context, right? And the idea that there are so many uh, toolkits out there that you can draw from when it comes to negotiating. <clears throat> and and I'll give you an example, right? So you, you mentioned a hostage negotiation. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been through a couple of different negotiating classes and, you know, one was, uh, he was the agent for Cal Ripken Jr. And mm-hmm. I think one, one was like a professor uh, in a, in a university setting. And I think one was just kind of an industry uh, person and they all had different, opposing views of things you know do you throw out the first number do you wait and try to get somebody to put out the first offer you know those types of things and i think when it comes to that coming back to what we're talking about i think it comes to to context and you have to understand the situation be prepared and know who you're negotiating with and and pull those tools out based on the context and kind of analysis of, of the situation that you're in And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll give you an example. You know, I think you talk about being prepared and, you know, the first thing you have to know is what you want out of a negotiation. Right. And um, I was having a discussion with an entrepreneur. Um, He his best friend manufactures pillows and was approached by Walmart to sell pillows at Walmart. Mm -hmm. You know, the first thing you think is like, this is fantastic. I'm going to make a million bucks. Right. My pillows are going to be in Walmart. And, you know, he. In the, in the course of the story, he approached the negotiation with Walmart in such that he just wanted to get it done and get his pillows out in Walmart. And a year later, he was begging to get out of that contract because what ended up happening is he negotiated so much of his uh, power away to Walmart that he wasn't able to make any profit. And so by that, I mean, you know, again, his goal was just to get in Walmart. He didn't really take the context and understand what's Walmart going to want out of this? How, how is working with Walmart going to impact all these things? And it was to the point where Walmart could refuse an entire truck and ship it back on his dime. If, if the packaging was messed up and and you're just talking like plastic, right? So if any of the plastic was ripped in transit on those pillows, an entire semi would have to come back on his dime across the country. Um, And it happened so much. And what he found was if, if they started stacking up in the warehouse, he would start to see these pillows come back and, and more and more. And so he ended up losing money on that. And, and that comes back to the idea of being prepared and knowing what you want, mm-hmm. not just the prestige of being in, in a Walmart. And right. that's really, really important. So, you know, when you come into a negotiation, if you don't know what you want, if, if you just, for example, I think a, a really good example would be a junior recruiter who just wants to get a submittal. They just want their numbers. 
and I've got to get three submittals this week to make my numbers. And you so you start talking with people to get that, right? That becomes your motivation and you're negotiating to get them to a point where you can just submit them. And how many times does that kind of backfire? Because oh, all the time. you know, you've you've missed some kind of information because you really your mm-hmm. focus and your preparation is to get them just to a to a process point. And you know, it's just really important to understand and incorporate all of those things. You can't just want to get a submittal. You've got to really understand what what the end state needs to be for you. And I, I've just seen so many people make that mistake. And I, I'm sure you yeah. have as well. Oh, well, absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's wild to me, but, but it happens. And, you know, being prepared is in just as much as important as understanding who you're negotiating with. And, and we can probably go round and round on this, but, you know, I, I see typically three different categories of people when I'm negotiating. And it's extremely important for me as a practitioner to understand who I'm negotiating with and their archetypes. Right. So you, you obviously have people that, that kind of flowed in between here, but you, you typically have people who are zero, zero sum game people. Mm-hmm. And that negotiation is all about beating you <laughs> yeah. and it's winning. Right. So it doesn't matter what end state you want. They've got an end state where they beat you and they win. Um, and you've got to be prepared for that. But then you you run into people who are win-win folks. And, and generally, that's what you want, right? You you want to find someone who can find a mutually agreeable situation in your negotiation. But then you also run into people who don't want to negotiate. And they want to make it just finish as fast as possible. They're willing to bend, do whatever they need to do to just get it over with. And, you know, knowing those types of things is extremely important in a negotiation. I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you run into different types or, or is that kind of something? Yeah, no, I think I, I would say, Rodney, I think you've probably summed it up. I don't, I don't know of another, of another sort of version. And uh, the one thing though, I will just say is ideally you want to be in the win-win situation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you know, and in actually every negotiating book I've ever read, that is the ideal state, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure that you can find some out there that, that may say, no, it's all about winning. But, um, but I, the win-win is always the best way to go because what you've done is you've preserved your, I'm going to say opponent for lack of a better term, you've preserved what they want and you've gotten out of it what you want. And if you are going to maintain a relationship with that person, it's going to be important that it goes that way for you. Otherwise, you know, you're creating a contentious relationship out of the mm-hmm. gate. And I don't think anybody wants that. And, you know, think about it this way, right? You, you know, if, if you want to put it in some examples um, as a candidate, think about, you know, if, you know, there's, there's the, 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 the I want to win kind of person. And, you know, think about it this way. If you're in an interview with a hiring manager and like hiring manager, all of a sudden, you know, pivots on you and says, you know, Hey, look, by, by the way, you know, I know that, um, uh, you know, you, it seems like you, you're interested in this role, but we're interviewing a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. If I give you an offer, will you take it? You know, um, I've, I've seen stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, obviously that, that is designed really, you know, to kind of put people on their heels. Right. Um, and try to get a commitment out of them. And I don't think that's a very good way to do it, but, um, but I, but I agree with you. And, and if there's any way you as being part of a negotiation can, can get it to win-win, obviously I think that's always your best outcome, but uh, there are times when that just isn't the case. And, and if you're not prepared 
to go head to head with that person that just wants to beat you, mm -hmm. then, you know, you, uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to be a rough day. And I think the other thing that people need to think about on the other side of this is no matter what your situation, you've also got to be willing to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. You can have, even if it's, even if it's walk away for a period of time to then come back to the negotiating table, uh, you've got to be able to walk away if, if, if you're at a stalemate, if it's not going anywhere, if you're not comfortable, whatever the, you know, whatever the case may be, you've got to be willing to walk away. And I, I think about, and this doesn't happen as much these days, but for those of us that are a little more seasoned, uh, buying a car, mm -hmm. you know, one of the, one of the things that I, I've done it more than one time and it works like a charm is, you know, if you go into, if you time it right too, and again, this mm -hmm. is knowing who you're going, going for. Um, if you time it, you know, kind of the end of the quarter, right. Going into, going into a car dealership, you know, they're wanting to move inventory even better at the end of the year, right. Because they're mm -hmm. trying to get rid of their, their, their last year's inventory, if they still have any and, 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 and really, you know, move the, the new stuff and they're willing to, to make deals. So if you go in with that sort of timing and, and then if they're not getting where you want them to be, whether it's the negotiation on your trade-in, whether it's an interest rate issue on a loan, whether it's the price of the car, um, if you're like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to walk, mm -hmm. you know, and then you do walk, they call you back. Right. And now I've had, I've had it not work. I've had them not call me back too. I'll just be honest, but I've had, I've done this four different times and three of them have called me back mm -hmm. and I've gotten a better deal. And so, uh, the point being is that by being willing to walk away, that also helps with the power dynamic because yeah. whether you want to believe it or not, the power dynamic in a negotiation matters mm -hmm. and it will ebb and flow probably right. even during the negotiation. Although I will say this, um, in a lot of situations these days, the, the employers arguably have a bit more power than they've had in a while. Mm -hmm. And I think they're flexing it. Right. And so as a candidate that, you know, that can be a little more uncomfortable, um, than maybe it would have been 12 months ago. Uh, but again, that power dynamic probably will shift right here in the not too distant future too, at least I, at least I hope so. And so, um, you know, but even then, even then you still got to be willing to walk away if it's not the right thing for you. Right. And so I think you've illustrated a couple of different things perfectly. I think it's, it's the blend of preparation and mm -hmm. knowing who you're negotiating with. Right. So if you know the structure financially of, of what someone's motivation is to negotiate with you and, you know, you come in and, and you've done all your Kelly blue book, uh, you know, background and, and you know, kind of what, uh, what it's the invoices for a, a dealer and, and what they're right. willing to tolerate. And, you know, yep. understanding that in that negotiation and, and kind of having your range for a win-win, right. You can kind of say, Hey, I've done my research. Here's, here's what it is. Don't charge me $5,000 over invoice. Here's, here's what I know, you know, will work for you. And it's an end of the quarter being able to walk away from that helps. Right. So you've now balanced you know, your preparation with understanding who you're negotiating with. But then you introduced another kind of concept, which is the principle of least interest, which we've we've kind of talked about before. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, the principle of least interest states that in a relationship, which includes a negotiation relationship, the person with the least interest in that relationship has the most power, meaning that guy wants to he has a financial interest in selling you a car. You know, you're putting food on the table for that person. You lose nothing by by leaving and just kind of going, I'm going to go talk to another dealer. You're the least interested in that dynamic. And as such, that puts the motivation and onus on that salesperson to come after you. And, and so that's kind of what the principle of least interest can do in a negotiation. I think as recruiters, we often assume 
that the candidate is the least interested. And I, I've seen a lot of recruiters come in just so aggressively trying to convince people um, when it's not necessary. And I think especially in our industry, you know, if, if you're, again, come prepared, you understand your industry, you understand what market rates are, um, you understand the opportunity that you're bringing to someone and what, it, what value it can bring to their career, you don't have to come in that way. You can come in with a win-win attitude and, and really kind of help them explore their motivation and create a win-win situation. And I think so many times recruiters come in and, and they automatically assume it's going to be about rate or it's going to be about the brand. Um, and they don't take the time to necessarily come into it and say, I want to create a win-win situation for someone's career. Let me just have this conversation and understand what they want. And then let's have a, a conversation about this opportunity and see if it maps up. Mm -hmm. Because to your point, it might not. Right. And, and you may have to kind of say, okay, I know where this might in the future happen. So let's kind of back off right now and, and kind of slip that away. I think most recruiters just come in and say, what, how much do you want? Are you available? And let me get you over there. And then that's kind of it. Yeah. I, I would 100% agree with that. And I, you know, and I have seen that a lot and I've actually seen the, and the sad part about this is too, and I can actually give you an example of somebody that I used to work with who shall remain nameless. And it's been, it's been a long time. Um, but he was really good at convincing people to do things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he got people to take jobs that shouldn't have taken those jobs. Wow. That's and dangerous. I, it's bad. Well, the, and, and where that, where that came back was he had a bunch of deals blow up, mm -hmm. you know, in six months and so many. So that like literally the the agency I was working for at the time was uh, just they were they were mad because mm -hmm. now all of these refunds were going back out right and so it was it was a mess and 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 you had also a lot of pissed off candidates you know uh, that you know some I think I don't know that I would say he flat lied to them but the way he framed things mm -hmm. was in the gray area I think too many times right. and didn't come to fruition in the, the way that the candidate, I think, actually perceived how they should come to fruition. And it created a lot of bad blood. And so you had a lot of candidates that now didn't want to work with him, certainly, but didn't even want to work with the firm, mm -hmm. you know, because because of these things. And it really did tarnish uh, in, in, in the market that we were in, especially it tarnished a lot of, I think, our ability to, you know, get candidates, particularly in certain spaces, because a lot of, you know, a lot of these people talk, right? And right. If you're in a niche kind of industry in a, in a somewhat geographically confined market, you know, a lot of those people know each other. Mm -hmm. And, and so obviously that, that, that doesn't do any good for you. But the point being is that, you know, if, if you aren't, if you aren't actually paying attention to the win-win for the candidate, it, that it can go very, very South. And my example is probably a little on the extreme side, but at the same time, I, you know, I, I use it to illustrate that that you've got to be mindful of that, mm -hmm. you know, and you have to be mindful of the fact that it may not be the, the best fit for somebody, you know, you, that's where being a good listener comes in too. Right. And that's, that's a big part of being, being able to negotiate well too, mm -hmm. is really hearing what that other person is telling you because no negotiation is going to go, you know, in a linear fashion, mm -hmm. it is going to go, it's, it's, it's the opposite of that, right. It's going to go in a lot of different tangents, probably go down a lot of different paths, some rabbit holes, and, and so being able to listen and bring it back and, and understand what that other person's come, you know, saying where they're coming from, all of that 
matters a lot in whatever the eventual outcome will be. Yeah. And and again, if if you're not listening, you're not able you're not able to get it there. And then certainly if if you're just trying to put the square peg in a round hole in whatever scenario, that even if you pound it in there, mm-hmm. obviously that's not that's not the best outcome. Um and 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 will blow up in, in whatever you know form or fashion yep. it you know it, it it is. Um, you know, and and it's another thing that just made me think of this. I just wanted to add something back to something you said earlier about really knowing the person and, and in, in knowing the blue book, knowing the invoice or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is, you can, you can say the same thing about knowing what the company can pay. Right. You know, what, what are their, basically it's what are their constraints? Because there is in any negotiation, there's not, it's not blue sky, right? I mean, right. constraints around whatever it is you're talking about, probably and not probably definitely on both parties sides. Mm-hmm. And so you, if a company for whatever reason, even if it's, if they're low paying in the market, you know, they're going to be constrained on what they can do. And so mm-hmm. if it's, a, if, if 200 is le- legitimately the best they can do and you go in asking for four, it, that's not even a negotiation, right? That, that's just you're out of the gate. You're, you're just, you're, you're so far apart that you can't even talk about it. It's not productive. And, and that goes to this idea of, of understanding the constraints of that, of, of that person. And it could even be, you know, like I said, parity is usually a big one, but it's, you know, it's pay rates, it's market, all these different things factor in when, particularly when talking about pay. But again, you can, you can extrapolate that out into a lot of different scenarios. And if you don't understand their constraints, it just makes it for a much, much harder negotiation um, being on the other side of the table. Yep. And, and golly, so you brought up a ton of great points that I want to, that I want to riff off of it if you're if it's okay oh perfect perfect <laughs> yeah, I, please. I think you illustrated you know two stereotypes in our industry of, of junior recruiters and i i don't blame the recruiters i think I, I blame the industry for not preparing people and i think it's it's the idea of of the type of recruiter who just wants to win and and that type of recruiter is calling people trying to convince them to take a job Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we see this all the time. And, and that's the recruiter that if you go into all these forums, it's the it's the thing that people hate the most. It's like, don't don't call me trying to tell me what I want to do with my career or, you know, don't look at my background and assume I want your job kind of thing. It's you know, it's it's a really like I'm just going to win. I'm going to get this guy to take this job. And and I think that's a fault in our industry that we need to, to guard against. And, you know, there's some side of that, that people think that they're just such a great salesperson that they can convince every, anyone to do anything. And, you know, that's not what we're in the business of doing. We're not in the business of, of trying to make people quit their jobs, right? For, mm-hmm. because we want them to, or we, you know, we have a financial interest in it. But I think on the other side of that, we often have, you know, the type of recruiter who doesn't want to negotiate. And typically those come through as people who are just making the call and, and hoping to find someone who just says, I, this job sounds fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they're not necessarily having the, the conversation around what's motivating you, why, why would you look, um, and, and trying to make a match. You know, they're really kind of making the call, saying, here's the opportunity, and kind of waiting for them to go, yes, and jump all over it. And, you know, those are kind of how that, that ends up looking in our industry, I think. I don't know if you have any additional mm-hmm. thoughts on that, but, um, you know, that's, that's kind of, we have to watch for that, both as leaders on our teams, in ourselves, and, and with our, our colleagues, right? So we're always trying to make each other better. 
And I think if we see those behaviors, it really comes back to let's let's coach a little bit and come back to the preparation side of it, as you mentioned, understand what your constraints are, understand, you know, the, the employee value proposition of this opportunity of what it can bring to someone's career. And, you know, if, if you're hiring for a mid-level job and you see a senior level person who may have all those qualifications, you know, you've got to think, is there a value proposition for me to call this person? Or am I going to be that recruiter that's going to try and convince a senior person to take a demotion? And, you know, those are the types of things that that you have to prepare and begin your conversation and your negotiation with. Otherwise, you've come right into to your situation where you've created a non-starter from the get-go. And yeah. now you've kind of disrespected someone's time and, you know, created a bad impression of yourself in the industry. Mm-hmm. So yep. those are, those are yeah. some things that you brought up that I, I thought were really important to, especially as leaders, right, to, to learn to recognize that in your teams and coach them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Rodney, I, I think you're, I think you're spot on. And, and I think it's, it's one of those things that in some respects has given recruiting and recruiters a bad name, mm-hmm. you know, and, and while I do believe that there's a sales component to recruiting, you know, when people are like, oh, recruiting is just sales. I'm like, well, not necessarily like you, right. you, 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 need, you need to be able to articulate a value proposition and, and, and whatnot, of course, but that's not really sales. What you're, what you are and I think it's much more close. It's like you're, you're a matchmaker, mm-hmm. right? Whether you're a corporate recruiter, whether you're an agency recruiter, that doesn't matter. You're a matchmaker. And what you're tr- trying to do, particularly if you're being, if you're doing it, what I would say in the most ethical right way is you are trying to, to legitimately figure out on both sides and, and now managing both sides is a, is a whole thing too, mm-hmm. but you're trying to figure out on both sides. Does it make sense? And I will tell you one of the things that, that I've been actually you know, proud of and not to pat myself on the back, but I've always, when I've been talking to candidates, when any of the companies that I've worked for, I have, I have purposely chosen to go to these companies because I believe in whatever it is they're doing and whatever that career move is that I'm talking to somebody about, I believe it, mm-hmm. you know, now a person may, you know, they know more about their life than I do. Right. When you're talking to somebody, but, but I always have the confidence that when I'm going out to talk to a candidate about a position that, you know, that it, it's legit and it could be something good for you. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I go back to even my time at PwC and, and I used to talk to a lot of students when I was doing the campus recruiting, especially, and, you know, I had, I had a huge belief and I still do, by the way, that getting into the big, big four is a very, very good way to propel your career. And Mm -hmm. you can argue, and you can say the same investment banking, or you can say BCG or whatever, right? But any of these well-known companies that provide lots of training and and some name recognition, right? And some right. brand recognition on your, on your resume, that's going to open doors for you. It just is. And so I think, um, it, you know, again, it goes back to in, in what you're talking about on both sides, being clear, you know, as that middle person, as that man on what's going on on both sides. And then I think it actually makes it easier to have those discussions and it's not, then it's, and it's not a hard sell and it never should be a hard sell in my mind. Right. Right. You know, it's literally like, let's do the pros and the cons. Let me help you. I can walk you through it. Hiring manager, or I can walk you through it candidate. And, and, and we can see if this, if this makes sense. And, and, and that's why, and that for me has always been the fun part too, even though it's, yeah. it can be the strenuous part, right. But that's always been the fun part. And and, and at the end of it, you know, I, I personally want to walk away feeling good that if this candidate takes this job, that they're not going to come back to me and be like, what? You right. sold me a bill of goods, right? you know? 
I, that's, that's just not how I operate in life and certainly not in, in the profession. And so I want them to come back to me and be the opposite of me. Like, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yep. You yeah. know, this is great. I, I you know, I, I, I'll tell all my friends about how great you were to me and, and all those things. And, and, and that's, that's what I'm looking for when I'm trying to, to match up these candidates. But again, it goes back to really understanding it and being ethical about it. Yeah. And so you've done nothing but, but like illustrate great points today. And, and I think what you just said applies to closure a great deal, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, you've got an opening mid game and close generally, right? Mm-hmm. When you, when you talk about negotiation and anytime a close has blown up on me, it's because the mid game was not transparent. I couldn't, as a recruiter, I could not articulate, why is this person considering this, right? There's, they couldn't articulate it. They, they couldn't say it. And, and it comes, comes out when it's time to close that they had other motivations and they had things that they didn't talk to you about that come in and then blow up the negotiation and make it impossible to close. Whether it's, yeah, you know, I actually needed another 50K a year, or I've got this family situation that, you know, I can't, I, it's not going to work, right? Those types of things will just blow up a close more than anything. And I think typically mm-hmm. I've gotten to the point in my career where I can recognize it now, where someone's holding back and I know it's going to be a difficult close. And it, that is very different from, you know, getting into the nickel and dime discussions because that's doable. And and typically if, if you've done your open and, and mid game correctly, everyone's well aware of, of kind of what the constraints are, as you mentioned, right? You, everyone mm-hmm. is prepared. Everyone is kind of on board with a, with a general range, but you know, it, it's, it's totally legit. You have a conversation with a hiring manager and you're like, Oh, that's a scope a little bit different from what I had talked about. I think that's worth a little bit more. And you, and you start to have those nickel and dime conversations. And I, I don't mean to demean it by saying nickel and dime, but you know, you go back and forth on numbers. Yeah, that's normal. But you know, if you haven't gotten to a point in, in the transparency of your negotiation that everyone can articulate why this will and will not go right, you're begging for your clothes to just blow up. And, and that is typically, you know, a scenario in a negotiation that just gives everybody a bad taste in their mouth. Hiring managers, recruiters yeah. and candidates, because yep. you've invested so much time. Like I have had like recruiters just, you know unprofessionally call people up and and berate them for wasting time for doing stuff like that not the mm-hmm. thing to do but it it that kind of of kind of bad closure creates those those impressions and those emotions mm-hmm. but it's as you said if if you transparently operate your negotiation you can avoid all of that right i mean have you ever yeah. seen that happen before Oh, I've seen closes blow up numerous times. And, and it's, and it's funny because to your point, it's over things that should have been on the table way early on, like almost at the outset or certainly through the mid game as you're getting to know somebody. And if you do your diligence as a recruiter, particularly if it's, if you know, it's a, it's a challenging situation, like um, you know, money, you, you know, you always have to be aligned on money. So I'm, I'm usually quite transparent mm-hmm. on what a company can do with money out of the gate, because I want somebody to tell me that's not going to work for me. Do and not, they, and they believe me, they will. do not play with people's money, right? Yeah. You do not play with people's money. And so I'm, I'm very transparent about that. But it's also, if you think about something like, and this is the example is a move was involved mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the, 
the recruiter, and, and here was where the rub came in. It was the person was open to relocating, but the timeline was inconsistent with what the 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 hiring manager was willing to wait for for the hire, mm-hmm. and 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 it had to do with the school school year. Right. Right. For the person. Right. So they, they weren't willing to move because they had a kid in school and they needed to wait till the summertime. And, you know, and that was, you know, and this was I'm trying to remember the exact time. It was like in the fall, mm-hmm. you know. And and so. But what happened was no, the, the candidate didn't ask the question about the timing. Oh, man. and and so, I you know, and and the recruiter didn't say, hey, by the way you know, this, you know, this would be more immediate. Is that something you can do? And so, mm-hmm. so what, what happened, you know, and so it's kind of, you know, unfortunately, it's one of those unfortunate situations that the right question, one single question just didn't get asked. But the point is, is that when they got toward the end of it and, the, and, and got to offer and the person was like, all right, great. So can you start, you know, and this was now I do remember, yeah, it was in the fall because they wanted the person to start right after the new year. Mm. And, and the person was like, what, wait a second. Right. I've got a kid in school. I'm willing to reload, but I can't do it until, you know, July. Um, it, you know, and then it became, well, can I do it remote? And, and the, it was mm-hmm. these kinds of things. And it was like a no, no, no from the hiring manager. And, and, and so it just, it blew it up. And I will tell you this, the hiring manager was irate. And because, and, and that was the question, like, how did you not know this? Right. The, the candidate was not happy either, I will say, mm-hmm. um, you know, but again, you know, the candidate probably should have been more transparent, but again, you can never expect the candidate to know what to say in all these circumstances, right? right? Because they're right. not professional seekers. Um, and, it, and so it becomes incumbent upon the recruiter to make sure that they're dotting the I's and, and crossing the T's because mm-hmm. those details matter. And back to your point, right? It, it blew up that close. And that was a colossal waste of time for everybody involved. And again, and by the way, there were candidates along the way that we probably didn't pursue that we could have, right? And, you know, that kind of a thing too. And so it's just, it wasn't, it was, it was a really, really bad situation. And so you've, you've got to make sure that you, you understand, again, it goes back to the constraints, right? Mm-hmm. What are all the constraints involved with this negotiation on both sides? And, and, and then you, you can figure out, all right, well, at least you, you know, where your boundaries are right. and your guardrails are, and you have to work it, you know, work in from there. And so I think that, I think that's a, a, a very, very salient point that, that people need to consider. Yeah. And, and so I think, again, you, you make a great point. And I think as a leader, if you've got recruiters, you really need to pay attention to their closes because it, it really is a coaching opportunity for the most part, because you can see these things happen, right? You can see the re- recruiters who don't want to negotiate and all they're doing is moving the process to a point where you can get an offer out. And then all of a sudden they're trying to kind of rush around the offer to make yeah. everything amenable and, and close it rather than kind of smoothly being transparent and kind of and marshalling it to a smooth close. But then you also have to watch out for your recruiters who, again, are just are relying on the hard sell to convince people. And I, I think what that looks like and, you know, you can I would appreciate your two cents on this. But, you know, to me, those are re- recruiters who oftentimes you see trying to force things and they get angry at candidates who aren't accepting what what they've kind of put at them. Right. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So it's like, oh, my gosh, they won't accept this. But, well, you know, your job is not to convince them to, to take these things. You, your job is to kind of marshal the process and, and do this with them. And mm-hmm. I think as a recruiting leader, you have to pay attention to a lot of these things. And, and coach your recruiters to a point where 
it is smoother. Now, that being said, you're always going to have closes blow up, right? You're going to have someone who is considering a location and they get there, they they talk to the company and they kind of understand this this city's not for me. I can't I can't move here. That happens, right? Or yeah. They kind of talk through an opportunity and go, you know, this is only a, a year-long project. There's no vision for what's going to happen afterwards. I don't see this as, you know, where I want to bring my career. I don't see any longevity past this 18-month project. Those things are going to happen. But, you know, for the most part, things like timing and, and, and you know, numbers should, should be pretty solid, right? Your thoughts on that? Yes. It just a definitive yes. By the time you get to the close, that should be the easy part. Mm -hmm. Because if you've done all of the things right throughout the process, the close should be almost it, that you're putting a bow on it at that point. Right. Right. And, and, and so if that's not happening, something got missed along the way. And, um, yeah, I, I just I, I I agree with that. And I don't I know I'm trying to think of an example and I had one and it's completely escaping me now. But the point is is that mm -hmm. it, yes, it, if you if you are not to that point at the end, then you know, and your close rate's low. And and as a leader, that is one thing I actually looked at a lot mm -hmm. is is looking at how far along people got in the process. And then if they got to that offer stage and either an offer didn't get made or you know, you, you know, for whatever reason, which was strange to me when it should have, or it, it's, um, it got made and then didn't get accepted. And it's at a rate that's much higher than right. the, the not accepted. I mean, it's, it's much higher rate than it should be. I, you know, that, that always was a, was a coaching moment. And, and I found that interestingly, there are two types of people. There are those that are more, you know, naive to it and you can coach them mm -hmm. and help with recruiters, but there are some people that that's just how they operate. And they arguably probably operate in their life that way in that hard sell sort of capacity. Right. And then that becomes a different sort of discussion. Um, but I've, I've absolutely seen that happen. And the example I was thinking of, it did come back to me was, um, and I've seen this happen a number of times is when you're talking to a candidate, things seem to be going well. Then that candidate comes back to you all of a sudden and says, Oh, Hey, I got another offer. Right. You know? Um, and, and then it causes, the scramble and everything, but it goes back to, you have to know that, you know? So one mm -hmm. of the questions you always need to ask out of the gate is, are you actively looking? Are you in the process with, with yeah. anybody else? Where does that process and stand? Along the way, right? Because that also allows you to start negotiating right back with that hiring manager on behalf of that candidate mm -hmm. saying like, look, we want this person. They're already in the process. I mean, we might need to fast track it or whatever it is. But if you don't ask that question and you, and therefore don't know, you'll get caught off guard. Right. And that is the worst place to be when, when you're a recruiter, when you've got somebody you think is, is really tracking well, and then they mm -hmm. just cut you off with the knees because another company moved faster. Right. And, and that's, uh, that, that's something that, that I would advise every recruiter to guard against, because again, you, you know, it allows you, if you know that to go back and start negotiating with the hiring manager, uh, with the interview team, or, or whatever you need to do to, to fast track it. If indeed that makes sense to do. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's, about transparency and kind of creating predictability. And, and if you've got a good negotiating partner, you can do that. No matter what type of negotiator they are, you can kind of get it to the point where everyone understands where they're coming from. Now, when you're dealing with the different personalities, I think that's a totally different thing. Sometimes you're going to have people who negotiate in bad faith who are mm -hmm. going to tell you like, yeah, you know what? This number's great. And, and 
the candidate may just want to get to a point where you fall in love with them and be like, oh, yeah, you know what? I think I want 30 grand more. Or, you know, those types of things happen or they just pull out. I have seen that a number of times in the tech world. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes a number of times they just want to collect an offer that they can go bring back for a counter offer. And mm-hmm. there's no win there for us. I mean, but but also that's a bad faith negotiation that you can't control. Um, and I, I don't think that's kind of in the realm of what we're saying here. I don't think you can necessarily control for for a bad faith actor. Agree. Yeah, if somebody's flat out lying to you, you know, that's right. That is what it is. And and you can only just try to suss that out through your own, I think, intuition. Mm-hmm. And and and, uh, you know, it there's there's no winning that. And and, and you're right. This That's not that's kind of that, that's a whole different yeah. paradigm than than this. This is the assumption at the outset is that everybody is negotiating in good faith here. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's even if it's a I just want to beat you. <laughs> negotiation good faith you know they're not lying to you they're right. just trying to beat you right <laughs> and so um and i guess you know is that good faith or not i don't know um but certainly it's uh it's it's a different sort of thing than somebody who's disingenuous right right 100 agree it's worth it's worth calling out because i don't you know we didn't really talk about that but i think I'm, I'm glad we got to this point because I do think that it's worth calling out. Yeah. And it's hard to control. And and so I think, you know, that's that's kind of my spiel on negotiation. I don't know what your thoughts are, but again, I think it's no, a I context. Think I, I um I hopefully, yeah, I, I agree with I agree with this and I think it's a good discussion. Um and I would just go back and just really kind of summarize it is really, you know, prepare. Uh one of the things that, and I think with preparing, we didn't really mention this, but I'll mention it now is practice. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you, you know, talk to your, you know, your your mom, your dad, your significant other, your kids, whatever, anybody that can listen to you, if you're if you're just not comfortable. And and by the way, negotiating for many, many people, I would argue probably most people is not comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And, and and lots of people don't do it in a in a very major way that much. Um, but you know, if it's a bigger thing, you know, practice, you know, role you play know spend some time doing that, role play it. And because Again, not not everybody understands how they come off. Mm-hmm. You know, you may want to come off in a certain way, but the way you present it may not come off in the way that you intend. Right, right. But the the practice, and then also practice, just makes you feel generally more comfortable. And the more comfortable you can feel going into a negotiation, the the better off you're going to be. I would think the other thing is is be open minded because the negotiations can go take twists and turns. Right. Um, you know, but have an anchor, meaning know what you want to get out of this negotiation and know mm-hmm. where, and know at what point you're willing to walk. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, everybody, you know, like when you're, you know, when you're looking at and going back to just the offer example, you know, there is, there is some point where you cannot take that offer in your mind. Right. You know, and, and so when you, if you are thinking you're getting to that point, it's, it's probably time to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so be willing to do that. And then I think the other big thing, if I were to sum this up is really know the constraints. Right. And that's part of the preparing and everything. But really, yep. that that is going to be something that, again, you're not going to be able to get around. So to the extent you can know the constraints, you, um, you know, that that's going to be very, very helpful to you in in where the negotiation lands, too, because neither you nor that other person is going to go outside of or is able to go outside of those constraints. Right. So it becomes a starter if it if if it starts to happen. And so I think those things are are really the crux of what we're talking about. Um, Did did I miss anything? No, you know, I I would add like my personal flair on things is in addition to to everything that you said, um, the preparation and everything, 
if you if you really want to focus on on finding win win situations um, and and your natural state of being is to win or it's to not you know just to get it over with start with just probing and asking probing questions to understand what the end state for for your negotiating partner is right and mm-hmm. and and use those probing questions to understand what it is exactly that they want and and once you've kind of probed and and had an idea just start proposing Okay, what about if we do this? What if we do this? Would this work? And 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 you know that kind of starts to train you um, as a practitioner to go towards a win-win scenario. And mm-hmm. again, as we discussed, I think the win-win is is really where you want to end up, no matter with who your negotiating partner is. Mm-hmm. And I I think by doing those things, you can start to bring people into a win-win situation because once you define what their winning point is you've got the opportunity to create a win-win, whether they're trying to beat you or get it over with. But if you can probe to find out what their, what their endpoint is, you can then start to propose, okay, and, and you use your information and preparation in your, in your, uh, as you propose to say, you know, here's why we can't go all the way with what this winning scenario is for you, but what I can do is this. And, and you know what I mean? So that's what I would kind of recommend to people in addition to everything that you just said. Yeah. And I think that that goes to it, it goes to the open mindedness of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, because it, it, and I've actually seen this in offer negotiations where it will be, you know, somebody is hardline on the, the base has to be X. The bonus has to be X. But then, you know, you can you can it, maybe there's a component they're not thinking of. Mm-hmm. You know, and where you can be like, well, look, I can't get you to to the to that bonus or I can't get you to that base. But what I can do is we can we can bump up the LTI number. Mm-hmm. I do have some right. room there. You know, like, oh, okay. Um, you know, right. that that might that might make sense. Or reminding people of other components of it. Like, and by the way, you know that our PTO is X, right? Which may be more than they're getting or something mm-hmm. like that, right? So, you know, but you've got to one, you've got to understand where they're at in order to be able to do things like that. But but again, that's the kind of thing where you do have to pivot and maneuver and ask questions so that you can get there because then that turns it win-win because at the end of the day, if in, in an offer situation, right, you as the, as the client obviously want to hire that person. That's why you're making an offer, but that, that candidate has to feel good about it too. Yeah. And to the extent that you're both, you're both getting there, even if it didn't quite look the same way as maybe the initial outset of the negotiation, everybody wins. And that is exactly where you want to be. And by the way, then you're mm-hmm. going to get a happy starting person, right. You know, and, and, and they're coming out of the gate and feeling the best possible way they can about you and the company and all the things that you want. And that's just going to create a better, a better productive employee, you know, cause I right. will tell you one of the things that I've cautioned a lot of hiring managers on this don't lowball, right. don't lowball because you can. And actually, by the way, I'm seeing that out in the market right now more than I have in a long time mm-hmm. because I, because employers have regained uh, a step of power in many, in many areas for the time being. And so, unfortunately, at least unfortunately in my mind, they're going down that route. Right. And so um, I would just say that just from a, just a knowledge standpoint for people, but also, you know, just it, it make sure that you're comfortable with where, you know, where things are early mm-hmm. on if if you don't get asked that question as a candidate. Yep. Agree. Agree. Great. Great. You know, I think, again, we're not we're not Ph.D. experts. We're not lawyers. We're but but I think as practitioners, hopefully, you know, people have kind of learned to understand a little bit more context and, and kind of gain mm-hmm. some some ideas on on yeah. how to approach their negotiations. Um, you know, I 
it was a fun talk for me. I think I can talk about this stuff all day long. <laughs> it, was, it was fascinating, you know, and, and I know at you as an IO psychology stud um, that it, uh, <laughs> it, it was fascinating. <laughs> but I will tell you, um, it, for me too, I, th- this stuff, you know, because it, it, it permeates our world so deeply, more so than maybe most jobs. Yeah. So the idea, you know, so, so being very thoughtful about it, studying it to some extent, a lot of, a lot of it through just personal experience and things. Right. I don't, it, it is fascinating to me, but then again, like to me, human behavior is fascinating. Yes. You know, beyond just the negotiation. And so I just, I get a big kick out of, of just understanding people in a general sense or trying, trying is probably a better way to put it, trying to understand people mm-hmm. in a general sense. Um, and that's just, you know, personal interest for me, but certainly, um, and probably why I'm doing what I'm doing. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, great conversation, Rodney, as always, um, certainly appreciate it. And, uh, I think we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully everyone enjoyed the show this week and hope you like and subscribe, uh, to the podcast. We'd love to, to be able to have you get updated when we get new episodes on and David York, anything else from you? Nothing for me, everybody. Just, uh, well, for, for those of you in the U.S., we're rolling in a July 4th weekend here shortly, and we're recording this on a Friday, for those of you that may not know. And uh, I just want to say, you know, depending on when we post this, it may hopefully might be a little bit late, but hopefully everybody has a wonderful 4th of July weekend. I hope you do with your family. I, same, same. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to That Recruiter Show. 